listening to the 514 Soccer Podcast. I'm Joey Alfieri, breaking down all things soccer. It's not just going to be Montreal today. It's going to be uh, Canada-wide as there was a big soccer match uh, last night, maybe the biggest in uh, Canadian men's national team history. But I'm joined by former national team players, Amy Walsh. Amy, what's up? How's it going, Joey? Amazing. Amazing. Good morning, everyone. And Grant Needham, former national team striker as well. What's going on, Grant? Not much. What's going on with you guys? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm pretty fired up. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, um, going into that game at Commonwealth Stadium, Canada, Mexico, like, I just, I had a hard time envisioning Mexico losing both games in this window. Like, to me, my brain just wasn't allowing me to go there. I don't know how you guys felt. I I thought it was going to be a draw coming out of there, and I would have been, Somewhat happy with the four points, uh, Amy, but I mean, the way that game went outside of the last five, 10 minutes, uh, I don't know. That was pretty much, I don't want to say Canada dominated, but Canada managed that game real well. Yeah, Canada really did. And unlike you, my brain was able to take in, <laughs> um, you know, Canada possibly winning the game. Uh, Shot so fired early. I was able to wrap my head around that. No, I had, a, I had a good feeling. I was thinking, yes, maybe a draw, but I, I think the, the weather and, and the hype and the snow and the conditions, um, I saw somebody say uh, hype, more like hypothermia. And, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really, really cold conditions. So I don't think the conditions were really helping any team. And, and Canada isn't that you know physical team that's just knocking the ball long and hoping for the best. Canada is a skillful team that wants to play Mexico on the ground. They want to play creative uh, soccer with a buildup and progressions and everything like that. So I didn't think that was really going to help Canada, but I do think that Canada is, you know, growing up here, wherever you're from, wherever your parents are from, uh, you know, you're used to it to a certain degree. And Mexico, you could tell, did not like those conditions. And it worked in our favor. Yeah, I saw Kyle laryngitis also, which I thought was... uh, (laughs) It's a good one. Right? I just don't think anyone is really prepared to play at minus 14 degrees in any, (laughs) I don't, uh, but the advantage goes Canada's way, right? Mexico guys were complaining. Oh, every time you see our soul leaving our body. Yeah. I've played in Mexico city in the hardest, hottest part of the summer, 5,000 feet altitude. You can't see, you can't, I can't breathe. The coach was saying, Hey, Make sure you make a good run. Get in your second breath. By the time I got down the steps to the field, I was on my 27th <laughs> breath. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. So I think the advantage played it obviously into uh, Canada's favor. But I, like you, Joey, I, I had a hard time seeing Mexico lose two in a row in this window. But at the end of the day, you look at this Canada team and it's it's evolving right before our eyes. You're seeing the the these players now believe in what they can do and it's a powerful thing when you've got guys that can believe in something and i was one of these guys again must be a head coach thing that when john herdman was there i'm like i don't know if he's going to be able to make that transition and i thought i knew i you know i asked about him and he was super organized detail oriented all the positive things i just thought okay it's a little bit different when you've got a little bit more egos coming your way but he has managed this team 
to perfection. He's got superstars that buy into what he wants. There's guys coming off the bench. They don't start, but they come in, they do a job. And I, I just, I think, uh, you know, I tip my hat because these guys have me believing that the World Cup is not just a, like a, a fantasy. It's a possibility, and it's a very strong possibility. I'm curious, uh, coldest game that you guys ever played, and I know for me, I think it was uh, Ville Saint Laurent. Oh, yeah, I think it might have been my second year, Ville Saint Laurent House League, Cobras. Middle versus, of September. Cobras versus Cheetahs, yeah. beginning of September. You throw the records out when uh, those two teams play. It must have been at the very least 14 degrees Celsius. Uh, Amy, coldest game you ever played in? Is maybe uh, Nebraska of all places because Nebraska never got snow the way that we get snow in Canada, Edmonton or Montreal for that matter. But when it was always cold and wind chill. And so when we, we went really deep into the playoffs, into the NCAA tournament, my final year, and there were 4,000 people who came out to watch us play Notre Dame at the Abbott sports complex in, uh, in November. And uh, it was, uh, I actually uh, had the penalty shot or the winning kick on my foot or actually the equalizing one. It got saved. I ended my college career with a missed penalty shot and uh, we got knocked out. We could have gone to the final four. Um, and that was chilly. That was no Nebraska in November. Um, and other than that, we've played CONCACAF, but whenever we played that, it was in those months deep into the fall coming into winter, but uh, it was usually on the West coast. We're usually playing in, in Vancouver or in Victoria. Yeah. I'm the same thing. I think like we didn't really play anything East coast because you couldn't, you couldn't get on the fields when back when I was playing, there was no, the new field turf and the synthetic stuff. It was the old style where you put it in the backyard, you know, you had your patios covered with it, where if you running one way, you slid all the way for 50 yards. If you went the other way, it ripped your, your, your feet apart and the thing. So we played a lot of our games out West. We played, and I remember in BC playing guy, teams like Guatemala. We'd catch them in October, November, where it was rainy and cold. And those two combinations really got into you, know, seeped into your bones. They didn't like playing up there, so we did well when they came up. But uh, I can't drop any big school names like Amy can, so right. I just say uh, Guatemala, some countries maybe <laughs> throw it out there. So some okay. countries, some countries. <laughs> Uh, so let's get into the game, uh, Grant. I guess so. I want to ask you about a striker. So we'll we'll start with you. But you and I, we've seen Kyle Aaron play up close a lot uh, back in his uh, Orlando days. And for whatever reason, he'd fill the net in MLS and then go to the national team. And it just for it didn't work. I, I don't know. I can't really explain it. Sometimes I guess it just it just happens where things kind of don't line up for you. Uh, but now, I mean. You're talking about a guy who's, you know, smashing the Canadian records for, for goals. He had the two big goals last night. He's just, he's on a different level. And I'm sure playing in Turkey, playing at a big club like Besiktas is, uh, you know, it, it helps in, in terms of improving your form. But I mean, this guy is just on another level, physically imposing, has some sweet touch around the goal. Like when you see Kyle Lahren, what do you see? Well, you, I think what happens is you've seen in the past, you play for your club and the club sort of plays to what everyone's strength is. And that means, all right, you have Kyle Aaron up front, up top. You're going to know he can do this. He can do that. When you go to the national team, you don't have that same amount of time to train, to practice, to prepare in that sort of format. You say, okay, this is what I want to do. These guys have got to fit into what I have. And so Laren might've been with the club teams he's played for. 
he gets a lot more service. He's much more comfortable. And the previous times playing for Canada, he might not have been in that comfort area for as a striker. And he might have had to do things that he's not accustomed to. Now, in this system he's playing, he's comfortable again. He's gone to Europe. He's learned that you have to change your game certain times. Depending on who you're playing against, you have to change what you're going to do. And he's adapted. And I think Canada is also playing to their strengths now. You don't have a team that's sort of taking round pegs, banging them into you know a square hole. You can't do that sort of thing anymore. You have to now see what you have. And I think Herdman's done a fantastic job of identifying what's going to be successful on the field. He has a game plan sticking to it. And Laren is obviously a key component of that game plan. Amy, it's pretty crazy that, I mean, they, they're, I mean, bench, bench is a big word, but they start Jonathan David who scored on Friday night. was like filling up the net in France in the first division. And like, they're like, oh, you know what? Yeah, we're going to start you on the bench and we're going to throw Kyle Iron up there. And then it's like there's there's no drop-off like that. It's just it's depth that we've never seen before. Usually when Needham went out of games, there was nobody behind him to play for the Canadian men's national team. Now, I mean, you've got quality all the way around. True. True story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I was just going to, before you brought that up, I was going to make that point that Herdman and the Canadian teams, the, the depth is is – is, is so deep. I mean, they've got such depth that they can afford to have a guy who is a leading scorer in Ligue 1 to, to stay in the bench. So that also, though, speaks to, to circle back to what Grant was saying earlier about John Herdman and his ability to manage a team. I'm not talking about tactics during the game. I'm talking about what he does with the team off the field. And I, I never had a chance to play with or for him. And I wish that I had, but I have a lot of close friends who did play for him. And what they appreciated about him is that he built this culture from the inside out. So it's not just him shouting orders or it's not just him trying to rule with an iron fist and to establish something. Um, he's trying to uh, create something with a leadership group and he's, he's building those guys up or those girls in a way so that they come out on the field and it's always a collective, whether you're starting on the bench or whether you're starting on the field. So um, I think that he, uh, in, in the past, you leave a guy like David on the bench. So then do you, do you know when you need to call upon him, is he going to come out with the right attitude? Is he going to feel like uh, he's been slighted? And I think that Herdman deserves all the credit here, not just for the result, but for what he's built so that he can take these fabulous players who are, you know, with the Bayern Munichs and the Besiktas and the, and the Lils, and they come back in and there's no egos. Yes, there's egos you have to deal with, but when they're in that environment, they're all part of a common goal. And then right now they're sitting at the top of the table. Well, and that was the, the real question Like we were, I was worried about with Herdman. Can he come in and manage these egos? You just talked about Liga and he's, he's the leading goal scorer. You've got a guy that's in Turkey. He's scoring goals. You've got all these guys that want to play. And in the past, they would almost fight each other to get into those roles or sort of bash the other guy to so they would get more playing time that's that's not apparent in this team and i think that that's what this coach has done he's come in and he's got them as a collective understanding that there's one goal and everyone's part of it and that's to get to the world cup and every single player has bought into it we talked we heard about it from past about this is what this coach does and now you're seeing it and i i know i don't want to slight the women's game but this now you're seeing it on the men's side and it's a it's a whole different spectrum 
And it's a whole different ball game when it comes to the men's game about money and all these things. And I think that John Herdman has just stepped into it and he hasn't missed a stride. Whatever he's done for the women's national team, and he's done incredible things to get them to where they are, he's now doing for the men's side. And it's it's just simply amazing that he has just seamlessly transitioned from one side to the other, and he's doing the exact same thing, treating everybody the same. And I think you get transparent respect from Herdman. And those go a long way to any player on the national yeah, I- team or anything. And I'll just add to that to put a bow on Herdman is um, he he's not only changed the culture so that Canada soccer is viewed with respect, but I think he changes it from the inside out in that he he changes the labels on things. So for David not to start, it's not starters and bench players. It's everybody working together to get that common result. And in fact, everybody's water bottle. I think I'm getting this right you'll have your starters, but it's not, it's not the stigma. He's taken that away from being a bench player. They're called finishers. You have your starters and then you have your finishers. And there, there is such, um, I mean, the, the mental aspect and the way that that sort of reboots it in your, in your mind as a player, because it was such a negative, like uh, I came into Nebraska to bring it back to my, my college career. And I had an outstanding camp, came in as a highly touted player and I was a starter, then I got injured, and I became um, somebody who came on. I actually played as a striker that year. Grant, you'd like this. Wow, I like and, it. And my coach there had, uh, he didn't label it as such, but it wasn't like starters are here, bench players are here. It was everybody working together. You come on, you provide a spark. You're going to come on, and this is your role that you have to play. So I love that, that he, everybody has a clearly defined role, be it tactical or just in support emotional support mental support for everybody to reach that common goal yeah, and the funny thing careful, is careful grant what you say about the women because uh nobody is immune from uh, twitter attacks from amy walsh i don't know if you saw that last I, night I, I went, saw. she went after the prime minister pretty good so just, i uh, saw that i saw that careful. yeah he gave me a call says what's up with that and i'm like i don't know i'll have a talk with her when i was going on no but the thing is when i played it was really a divide yeah ours mm-hmm. versus people coming off the bench and it, it was even to the point where it was tough to cross that line socially as well. It was, it was normally the starters are there. And everyone said, yes, we're all friends and stuff. But you spoke differently to the guys that started versus the other guys. And that was sort of how it was and how, I was, how we grew up in that situation. Whereas on the, like when you practiced, it was the starters on one side the guys coming off the bench on the other. And it was a war at times because they're trying to break into the starting lineup. That doesn't happen anymore. And I'm, I'm thankfully it doesn't happen anymore, but I just think that uh, I think that what soccer is evolved into and what Canada soccer is evolving into is something that has been, it's a fresh breath, a breath of fresh air going forward because I just, it wasn't the culture that I was grown up in. And I think it's just, this is going to be much more successful than we ever have been. Yeah. I just, on the uh, managing of the egos, I, I like the point that you guys brought up. And I, I think, you know, you look at Herdman, yes, and he, he has a track record of doing this. But, you know, how about an assistant like Mauro Biello? Like, Grant, you remember Mauro Biello during that run when they went to the Eastern Conference Championship? Like, they had Didier Drogba to manage. And Didier Drogba went to the bench for Manteo Mancosu during that run with the Montreal Impact. And, like, that was – you don't get much bigger egos than that. And, and with, with good reason. But 
uh, they had to find a way to manage that ego when they realized that, you know, he wasn't the striker for them to, to start games off. Uh, and, uh, and they end up going, you know, they were a goal shy or a half shy of uh, going to the MLS Cup. So I think even from an assistant coaching standpoint, I feel like that's a valuable uh, learning experience. In, in terms of the culture that you guys are talking about, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the starting 11 from Mexico going into that game. And like they're making their lineup, they're adjusting based on what they think Canada is going to do. And we live in a world like where I never thought that that would be possible either. But, you know, Mexico comes out and they play with the three center backs, real disciplined uh, wing backs that didn't really get forward much in the first half because like they were anticipating that, you know, Canada was going to throw the kitchen sink at them uh, offensively with the three attackers that they had, Amy. But like to me, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, this is not what Tata Martino likes to do. Like they literally came into Canada, came into Commonwealth, and they're basing their lineup. They're making adjustments to their starting 11 based on what they think Canada is going to do. It's like Mexico being reactive to what Canada does is just, I mean, I'm, my mind was just blown. Yeah, from the get-go, like even before the before the the kickoff, right? To see Mexico adjusting to Canada, as you said, it's just unheard of. You'd never think that you would you would see that happening. But all all the same, I think they go with five across the back, anticipating Canada pushing those wing backs up high and attacking from the wide spaces as they've been so successful doing. But then Canada, even though they probably knew going in, I don't think tactically they prepared for it. Um, and you could tell that it stifled Canada's attack at the beginning. But then they adapted really well. And I think that, uh, I mean, Kamal Miller, he was outstanding yeah. for Canada at the back. Um, Alistair Johnston was, was incredible as well. I think that substitute, I didn't like Henry um, going, like, uh, at the beginning. I thought, I was like, this guy is going to get beat 1v1. They're isolating him. And then I don't know if it was uh, coincidental that he, he came out with a knock or if they just saw it as a, as a need to get Victoria in there. But I think that was um, a key moment for Canada there to get uh, Victoria back into the centre. And then uh, Canada seemed to find its way moving through the midfield through Stacchio. Yeah, that body check off the opening uh, off the opening whistle there. I was like, oh, that that could have been uh, that could have yeah. been yellow. Like that was some serious contact. But I'm with you. Like I, I think he came out like 35, 40 minutes in. And Grant, I was like, okay, like uh, this is kind of weird to be changing a substitute, uh, changing a central defender at, at this point of the game. But he was on a yellow card. And with the way, like, mm. every little thing was being called, like, there was a lot of clutching and grabbing in the opening 40, 45 minutes. I was like, okay, I, I get it. It, it. It's like maybe Daniil Henry needs to come out here. And I was I was fine with that sub as unorthodox as it was. Well, the crazy thing is you always say, okay, let's just get to half and then we can make adjustments and then we do it. But you had a feeling that you weren't going to get to half the way things were going with this, with 11 aside. And, you know, again, uh, watching the game, you thought that maybe uh, Canada was going to get CONCACAFed a few times because there's a lot of things that just didn't get called. Uh, and it was crazy. Some of the things that, you know, the pushing afterwards, the driving, the tugging, like you said, holding on. I remember there was, uh, I think it was Larry that was running down. He gets grabbed from behind, not even a call. And you're thinking, how is everyone missing this? And you're thinking, this cannot be normal. And you thought, oh, I, in my back of my mind, I kept thinking, and it's crazy. Whenever I we go back to playing these games, I think of the Montreal impact. 
when they gave up all those goals at the end of the game, they're up 2-1, and then they end up losing in, in extra time, and it was just crazy, and they couldn't do it. I thought, oh, please don't let Canada do this. And then, you know, 2-1, and then you're thinking, uh-oh, anything can happen, especially on a field like that. You know, one fluky shot, and then it's in the back of the net. But uh, at the end of the day, they managed the game properly. They got the victory, and they are now hard. It's crazy to say this, top of the their group, Insane. top not in the running. They're top. They are the front runners and everyone else has got to catch them. If everything is equal going all the way, Canada's in. And that's something we couldn't, we, we, I couldn't imagine saying before this started. Yeah. And just, just to add, I think the way that uh, Canada managed that first half from the substitution point, you get Victoria in there. Uh, they find the space in the midfield and are able, I think Davies was still trying to do too much yesterday but I think I, uh, I I mentioned Miller I mentioned Johnson mentioned Eustachio Richie Larea like yeah. he has been incredible for this for this team um, and I think frequently you know um, Laren gets the gets the brace so we're talking about him we're talking about Hutchinson who breaks the all-time caps record I think he sometimes doesn't get talked about enough and um, he was he was really really strong for for Canada again. He's been consistently um, one of our stronger performers. But um, my initial point was to say that Canada dominates uh, that first half, especially after they move Henry out, and then the way that they get that goal um, and and when they get it. So Mexico are just hanging on. They're they're managing to you know they think they're maybe going back to the locker room with the draw. And then they get scored on, uh, you know, 45 plus two, a couple minutes into stoppage time after the end of uh, 45 is played. And I mean, there's nothing that's more crushing than that is, is to think that you're going to go into the locker room level and then come out with, uh, you know, like new hope or renewed hope for maybe a, a tactical change and try to get a little bit more forward. Um, and then they go in there and that's just such a crushing blow. And that was, I think, key to the way the game unfolded because then they come out in the second half, more of a 4-3-3 formation. You know they're going to be trying to get up forward. And then I think it's the 51st minute, Canada gets the second. And that was, other than the stoppage time at the end of the game where it, they were just hanging on after they got the one goal, um, I think that was really the timing of those two goals was key to Canada's victory. We, uh, we've gone over 20 minutes, Amy, without mentioning Milan Borian or his sweatpants. Uh, yes. But I mean, guys, like we've got to get into the end, guys, because like the goal comes in the 90th. Like I'm, I'm there. I'm still watching on my couch. I'm like, oh, my gosh, two nothing. They're going to clean sheet Mexico. This is it. This is going to be a breeze. And then the header goes in at the first post. And I'm like, oh, Amy and I text Amy text me right away. Like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not ready for these next five minutes. And then, uh, and then that save off the goal, like I just like that reactionary save from inside the six yard box, Amy, I'm like, I, I have no idea how Borean got there, but when that ball was played there and I saw there was the, the Mexican player in the six, I was like, okay, it's, it's two, two, this is it. But Borean managed to keep it out. Unbelievable stop. Yeah. I think the way that the ball bounced and I was watching, watching and rewatching that replay this morning. And he, I think, is worried about a handball, the way that it comes off up off the turf and it hits yeah. him kind of in the midsection. So he is not low enough so that he can get his boot on it and it's not high enough so he can nod it down. So I think the fact that he just manages to get kind of his belly on it gives Borean the time to go over and he's not down yet. And so the fact that he stays on his feet 
and then he's able to collect the ball. I think the sweats were key in that save. If it had been he me goes with in, my he's belly, confident. That <laughs> <laughs> there, would, there would have been that would have been a much more potent belly ball. I oh my god, that thing would have burst the net for sure. <laughs> But it yeah, was... but Dorian, like he comes up huge there because I think Canada panics a little bit and they start sitting really deep. And Joey, you said first post, but to me that was right, right in the middle. Yeah. I mean, that he that guy, he's just floating in there. Is Herrera, I think. I mean, somebody's got to mark up on him. And then they were guilty of it a few other uh, times when the ball was out wide and those dangerous crosses were getting were getting swung in. So anyway, like uh, huge. But I mean. Um, Borean, the sweats, Canada soccer needs to sell those. I'm getting some for my dad and for you guys for Christmas. <laughs> and then he's got, he looks like he's undercover in, in, in net a few other times where he's got like the, the neck warmer up and it looks like a little, looks like a little hood. It's like undercover Milan in net. So I was like, maybe it's not Borean. Is it Crapo in nets? No, no, it's Borean. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I also love these things now. I guess we're doing this every game where, in the 30th minute when Canada needs to make a tactical adjustment, he like gets shot by a sniper out of nowhere and he goes <laughs> down for a few minutes and they get to call, like basically they get to call a soccer version of a timeout. Uh, I think that's classic too. Uh, but Grant uh, was listening to uh, Christian Jack after the game. He was working the broadcast and he mentioned that that moment or those moments at the end of the game, those are actually good for Canada because you, you realize how difficult it is to beat a CONCACAF giant like Mexico. Like it's not going to be as easy as they made it look through 80 minutes. So going through that adversity, now that it's, you know, he said like now that it's over and they didn't score on that scoring attempt that we were talking about, like it's good to go through that late game adversity because they'll be better for it. I thought that was a really good point. Well, it's all learning. It's all about learning and adapting and making and growing as a team. And those are the moments where, you have to find ways to get good teams, find ways to get things done. And at the end of the game, everyone is called upon to do something. you got goal guy, goal scorers. They need to put the ball in the back of the net keepers. They come up with their big saves. And that's exactly what happened. This was a team that you are not going to just step in here, stroll around and walk away to nothing against the Mexican side. You knew that they were going to say, all right, you lose two, nothing. You lose three. Nothing. Who cares? We're just going to go at this one. To get the next one, the next one puts pressure on everybody. Because remember, Canada's not really been in this position before. They're always the team that's chasing, and we're always the team that says, all right, you're down 2 nothing, or you're down a goal, and you chase after it. This time, they're on the other side. They are the ones that were in cruise control. They were dominating. You know, they, they had a game plan. They played it to perfection. And all of a sudden, a hiccup. And all of a sudden, things went a little bit wrong. And the... Uh, the this is where you have the leadership group that Amy keeps talking about. You have the coaching staff. This is where you earn your money. When the times are tough, your best players step up. And those are, you know, defining moments of games. And sometimes, and we've seen it before with the Montreal team, we've seen it before with Canada. They've been a little bit lacking in those defining moments. They don't get the job done. Now you're seeing that they're getting the job done. They're finding ways to do it. And their stars are being stars when they need to be. And I think at this level, your best players have to be your best players if you're going to be successful. And that's what's happening. Uh, there's a couple guys, before we talk uh, Canadian Championship Final, because uh, we'll preview that game for you as well. It's going Sunday at 1 o'clock between TFC and CF Montreal. 
But uh, the central midfield in particular, uh, guys, like I, I still can't believe that Atiba Hutchinson is 38 years old. Like, Amy, you talked about getting to the 90 caps. Um, but the way that he still controls and bosses the midfield and is able to win balls back and he's able to be that link, like at that high of a level. And I, listen, he's still playing again. He's a teammate of Kyle Lahren's over in Turkey, but like the way he's still able to do that. And I had questions like going into that game. I was like, I don't know, like how, you know, is he going to go the full 90 minutes? Can he do it? And like, he didn't look like he ran out of steam at all. I, I was really impressed by Atiba Hutchinson. Estacchio too, in a, in a different way, but I thought the central midfield was real, real solid. It really was. And I think with Kay in their last game against against Costa Rica, I think I was underwhelmed a little bit with that with that central pairing with Eustachio. So I was happy for, for Hutchinson because, yeah, you want him to break that record, but you want him to do it with style. You want him to do it convincingly. And uh, you want it to be earned. So uh, he wears the armband. He goes in there and he has a really solid performance. And I agree with you. Like the, f- the fact that um, Mexico never really threatened. They never really came at Canada through the middle of the park. They were, they were unable. You can talk about how he, the link play that he provided for Canada and getting the ball out wide and winning balls and everything like that. But, um, you know, the fact that Mexico didn't really have the ball at all in the midfield um that's huge so I really liked his play and um uh good on you Joey for pointing it out because um again as I mentioned with Lorea like you often when somebody performs like Laren gets the brace um and you have a couple of other standout performances you you forget about these um wily vet performances and how much it means to the team well I think what also you're getting is structure and roles you know what your role is and you know Early in your career, you get to do your job plus extra things because you have that uh, exuberance. You've got that endurance. You can do things. Now, as a veteran, you understand that you have a certain role to play. And if you do it and you play it to perfection and everyone does their job, you will be successful. I think that's what the pairing gave you in the midfield for Canada. All right. uh, Are we good? Sorry. Sorry, You want to add? No, I was just going to say we can move on, but what do you want to add? Yeah, she I wants was just to add that he would hit that, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that too. I mean, the the last time I played at Commonwealth Stadium, I got red carded. So we can oh, we can add that. Hit somebody. Let's hit somebody. Let's get into that exactly. story. No, no, do, it, was against, it was against he, Germany. I was on a yellow, and we were losing three to one. And oh. I basically, I didn't want to catch a flight, but I was like, this this game's done. And but Amy, Amy, cynical I and I was out of there. I have to say, I'm happy that you did it yourself and you didn't hire some people to do it. <laughs> oh, okay. that's been disproven, by the way, in that PSG story. We can get into that another time. No, but I was going to link it back. To <laughs> oh, notice how it didn't say disproven that Walsh did something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yes, no. What yes, I said yes, was yes. there's nothing disproven about that red card. But yes. um, no, about how the, the clutchy and grabby first half, as yeah. you alluded to, Joey, that maybe plays into Hutchinson's favor. He's maybe not having to do run the kilometers that he maybe normally does if it's a more free-flowing game. So, um, uh, and then, tw- you know, towards the end, Grant, you threw out the concacaf as a, as a verb or as an adjective. And I really thought Canada was going to be on the wrong end of things again. But, um, but, they, but they hold on. And um, like you said, like th- those tenuous minutes at the end like they'll always have it in their back pocket no matter what they're up against in these final six 
qualifying games, when they go back to their clubs, they can always go back to that and say, we got this win. Doesn't matter how we did it. It wasn't as clean as a 2-0 win would have been. But we're able to hang on at the end there. Um, yes, we were at home, but our ref very much wanted the game to be equalized, and we were able to do it. So they can always come back to that uh, if a game ever gets to that point again. Uh, January 30th, uh, the next home game for Canada. Uh, I saw some talk. It's, they're hosting the Americans, and I saw that they're talking about uh, Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton uh, as a possibility for uh, that game. So, uh I don't know, guys. The team might have to uh, get in the car and uh, and road trip over for that one. Uh, but we've got uh, we've got the Canadian Championship final on TSN six ninety Sunday at one o'clock. It's uh, CF Montreal, I, I guess, defending their title. Sort of. That's how the club is <laughs> defending their title from two years ago that yeah. didn't play last year that someone else did. Yes, I like that. So, Grant, how do you feel like if you were a player from, say, Argentina and, you know, you, you the season's over, but you've got to wait through the international break, stay in town and play this Canadian championship final? Uh, how would you feel about that? And how do you think like the players, I guess, on both sides are going to come out for, for a game like this when they haven't played in a while and they're both eliminated from playoff contention in MLS? It's always tough. Like uh, I played I was a local guy that played for Montreal when I was in Virginia or Toronto. You always wanted to get home. But those were a different era. Now it's about this is your job. You're a professional. You're there all the time. You know what you have to do. You have to train. Your training regimen starts in the morning, goes all the way through the day, and then you go home. So it's really a it's no longer a two hours. We go to the local park, knock it around, and then do whatever you want afterwards. Now it's really a full day training regime. And I think that these guys, they understand that. They get paid much more money than I did to do those type of things. So I think that uh, even though you might say, oh, I'd like to get out of here, you know that this is a big game and it's an important game because you then get to play and represent Canada. And with the way the women's team is, you know, coming home with gold, then you've got the men's team now, the hype behind the whole soccer world in Canada. This is a big opportunity for some of these players to be on a big stage because there's nothing else going on right now in the club in the MLS for, for Can Canadian teams uh, in, in the East. So this is Canada. This is Toronto, Montreal. And I think these guys recognize that this is a final. You're playing for a trophy here. And that's not something you get to do every day in a career. Amy, do you want to add anything to that? Or do you just want to look ahead to like TFC has been out of it for a while. So I guess their, their main focus has been on the Canadian championship. Montreal had that heartbreak, but I guess being off for a couple of weeks kind of takes the sting out of it, does it not? Yeah, I think so. And I think if this game is played uh, prior to this, you know, like without the weight, uh, maybe the the favor lies more with uh, CF Montreal uh, because they maybe had a stronger season. TFC was out of the out of playoff contention, out of the playoff picture for a long time. Um, but it's always going to be a great rivalry, Montreal and Toronto. And uh, so they, they both get the chance to maybe to, to lift a trophy in a season that for many was, was a wash, especially for TFC. I think you can build on what uh, Wilfred Nancy has created here in Montreal. And this is maybe a chance to put a nice bow on, on what he's created, despite the, the disappointment of not making the playoffs. Well, you just said, like, I agree with you. I think that... Montreal gets to build on a, a pretty good season where they were touted to be not good. Whereas Toronto is in a rebuild. 
yeah. they're going to blow things up and they're going to start. So I think that that might have already started to happen in Toronto where you got certain guys that are out of contract. They know they're not coming back for contracts. They're not going to be. So this could, I think the advantage definitely lies in Montreal's favor. And it's the first time they've ever won a uh, coin toss. So I think that's huge <laughs> as well. So uh, there's a lot of factors that play into it. But at the end of the day, you're playing for, you put the shirt on, you're playing for your team, your pride, your city, and it's a trophy. And every time you can put a trophy in the case, that's something you've got to play for. Yeah, no, I yeah Grant, I usually – sorry, sorry, Joey. No, go go ahead, Amy. I was just going to say that I typically disagree with Grant, but it sounds like you had somebody, your dog, maybe actively <laughs> disagreeing with you at home. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> he was saying, talk to Amy, talk to Amy. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the need of saying, you're right wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but Montreal, I think the, the encouraging thing for me is like they're they're healthy, right? Like Kyoto's back with the Honduras national team, so he's going to be able to play, I'm assuming – uh, like you basically you get to leave it all out on the pitch like I'm expecting the a lineup of a lineups you know and for Montreal I think you know to your point certain guys out of contract grant like I don't know that we'll see say Kiki Struna because I don't think they're picking up that option but I mean it doesn't matter he got passed on the depth chart anyway so to me I think that you're going with your a lineup you try to win this trophy and then set yourself up for CONCACAF Champions League in the new year. I think Montreal has a great chance of coming out on top still. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see how it kind of shakes out after a couple weeks off. Yeah, I think that I, – I, I definitely think it's advantage Montreal. I think they've got more to play for. I think Toronto, yes, they're, they're talking about it. But with the dismal season that they had, they are looking at what they can do in 2022. Montreal's looking at that as well, but they are – they understand that they had something to build on. And I think that with healthy guys, the lineup that they had, this is Montreal's game to lose. Yeah. And Toronto, I mean, they're already talking about, uh, I mean, it's going to be real hard for me not to root for TFC next year. Uh, they're talking about uh, Jovinko being back. Uh, they're, 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 there's discussions about bringing in Andrea Bellotti, who won a European championship with Italy playing out in Torino, even uh, Lorenzo Insigne is another one of these Jovinko types, these smaller, shiftier guys. Uh, he's at Napoli. I mean, they're TFC. Like, if TFC bring in both of those guys, you know, like you're looking at potentially, you know, not far from 20 million in salary. But again, that's all for 2022. Amy, you want to wrap this up? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's definitely a way to your heart there, Joey, right? Yeah. Like, sign all the Italians and you've got Alfieri rooting for you. No kidding. Well, <laughs> well, they might not. They might not be in the World Cup, so they might well, have time. All right, all right. On this that is note, true. Playoff. On that note, on that note, we got to wrap it up, guys. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Again. Uh, Canadian Championship Final, if you want to listen to it, it's Sunday at 12.30 with the pregame. Amy, Grant, and I uh, will be working that game. Uh, have a good one, everybody. Subscribe to our podcast at 514 Sports, wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, find us all on Twitter because we all have some ridiculous takes that uh, we, wanna, we want people to disagree with. So uh, subscribe, rate the podcast, and uh, have a great rest of the week. And we'll, uh, we'll discuss the Canadian Championship Final next week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>